0: What's up, everyone? This is Anthony Pompliano. Most of you know me as Pomp. You're listening to Off The Chain, simply the best podcast in crypto. Let's kick this thing off. Brad Garlinghouse is the CEO of Ripple. In this conversation, we discuss what Ripple does, how XRP is related, the current progress to date, and then Brad answers a number of hard questions that were crowdsourced from Twitter. This conversation has been highly anticipated, so I want to make a few things clear up front. Brad participated in this podcast episode without he or his team reviewing my questions beforehand. There was no payment of any kind that exchanged hands, and the episode has not been edited in any material way other than the removal of prolonged silences or filler words like uh or um. When I agreed to record this episode, I figured that both supporters and detractors of Ripple or XRP would be unhappy with the final product. That is okay with me. I spent quite a bit of time preparing for this interview, including talking to people from both sides, along with crowdsourcing a lot of questions that people wanted answered. I hope you listen to this episode with an open mind and walk away thinking the conversation was fair and balanced. Either way, I hope you enjoy it. Skirt skirt. Want to know who has the best URL? Crypto.com. That's right, Crypto.com. They're a crypto platform with one goal, motherfucking mass adoption. That's why we're all here. We're trying to get crypto in every wallet. Crypto.com is helping people do that through buying, earning, lending, and card payment. Everything you could want at Crypto.com. Go help your boy out. Tell them Pomp sent you. Download the app or visit Crypto.com. Pomp's got you always. Ever wanted to get into mining and didn't know how? Don't worry. Your boy Pomp's got you. Everybody got some electricity and Wi-Fi. All you gotta do is go to coinmine.com, you buy a coin mine. It's like an Xbox or a PlayStation that helps you turn your electricity into Bitcoin. That's right. You purchase it, it shows up at your doorstep, you pull it out of the box, you plug it in, connect to your Wi Fi, five minutes or less, you're mining Bitcoin. All you have to do is control it from the mobile app they provide, and then you receive over-the-air updates that add new coins and new features on a consistent basis, kind of like how Tesla does over-the-air updates and updates the car software, just your update in your coin mine. Consumer mining made easy. That's right. Go to coinmine.com, tell them POMP setcha, you, and thank me later. As many of you know, crypto investors store their digital assets on exchanges or in cold storage for long-term safekeeping. However, this strategy doesn't help them grow their investment holdings or build overall wealth. With the new BlockFi interest account, users can now securely store their Bitcoin or Ether at BlockFi and receive 6% annual interest paid monthly in cryptocurrency. 6% is an absurdly high rate. It's the best rate in the industry. I highly suggest you go check out blockfi.com slash pomp. Again, that's blockfi.com slash pomp to sign up and start earning crypto today. If you follow Bitcoin and crypto, You've probably heard of eToro. They're the world's number one social trading platform, and I love it. They've got more than 10 million other traders that love it, too. And guess what? They just launched in the United States. eToro offers access to the world's most popular cryptocurrencies, including Bitcoin, Ethereum, and others. With the smartest trading tools and the ability to connect with the best traders around the world, there's no better place to build your perfect portfolio. If you're new to Bitcoin and crypto, you can test the waters with their $100,000 virtual trading feature. But if you're more experienced, you can create custom technical charts and use eToro's social feeds to inform your trading decisions. They've got transparent fees, and so you never miss out. They also have an easy-to-use application available on iPhone, Android, or any web browser. You can get started today in just a few clicks at eToro.com. Again, that's eToro.com. Get VIP access to Bitcoin and crypto markets today. All right, guys, bang, bang. Uh, Super excited about this episode. I think we broke the internet before you even got here. (laughs) Um, I've got uh, Brad um, here who we are going to try to get through a whole bunch of information um, and uh, hopefully, when people leave here, they will understand his perspective on uh, how Ripple XRP works. Uh, kind of let him um, describe where they are from a progress standpoint. Uh, answer all of the haters and the uh, the, the detractors online, and the lovers, and, and the lovers. There's well, there's we'll get to the XRP army who, uh, as I. Uh, in preparation, was thinking you must be the commander of the XRP <laughs> army. I'm uh, not sure. Well, I
1: definitely don't consider myself the commander of the XRP <laughs> army. but
0: uh, I'm not sure. There's a few people who maybe probably contend for that position. I'm not one of them. <laughs> All right, so let's start uh, from the beginning. You actually have a life before Ripple, uh, which some people may not realize. Um, you've been in the technology sector for a really long time. Uh, Yahoo, AOL, etc. No experience. Tough start. Experienced. <laughs> One of my partners is mid fifties, and I. When we go through everything, I always say, yeah, "This is our experienced partner." <laughs> uh, let's talk about AOL and Yahoo. Um, kind of give us a quick overview. what did you do at each one, and, and we talk some of that experience.
1: I'll start with Yahoo, just because I think for me that was uh, a really formative experience in uh-huh. lots and lots of ways. Uh, I joined in early two thousand three and was there till uh, I think the beginning of 2008 or nine. I can't remember which anyway. And uh, I, it was a great experience partly because it, that was, you, know, you kind of joined, when you joined in early 2003. That was kind of a dark period for a lot of internet companies. And certainly I would have put Yahoo on that list and just both measured by stock price, but also just engagement. And then, you know, new leadership was coming in and, you know, we went through a, a kind of a golden time at Yahoo where uh, a lot of growth and it's hard for, I think today's Younger generation to realize. I mean, Yahoo was Google of 2003, right? For sure, and uh, that was an awesome experience. Had some great mentors professionally. Ran a whole bunch of things at Yahoo, ranging from the homepage to Yahoo Mail to Flickr and a handful of other things. Uh, and it, you know, just learned a lot as a leader and manager. One of the highlight slash interesting experiences there was uh i ended up becoming a little bit infamous for something called the peanut butter manifesto what is that the peanut butter manifesto was a document i wrote it was an internal document that i wrote it did leak out after about 10 weeks but uh the articulation was basically like yahoo had a problem of spreading itself too thin and i think this is true not just at yahoo but many companies suffer from the Almost an identity crisis of who are we? What are we trying to be? And if you try to be all things to all people, you're not going to be anything to anybody. And I think Yahoo is struggling to like, hey, are we going to be a search company? We're going to be an email company? We're going to be a content company in news and sports and fantasy. And there's eventually manifestations of this, but the, the internal characterization we talked about, excuse me, internal characterization is we talked about the budgeting process. And a senior person referred to that as well, we spread it around like peanut butter. <laughs> And to me, it was this like cringeworthy moment where I'm like, that is exactly the problem. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, if you want to be great at something, let's decide to be great at that and then over invest in that and and potentially at the expense of other things that maybe we have to divest or exit or whatever. But as the Internet grew holistically, you had specialization and expertise. And, you know, if we were going to compete with Google in search which I know people probably
0: hear that and think how is that even possible? Mm-hmm. In 2003 that was really possible. Mm-hmm. 2004. The the whole I if I remember correctly Yahoo was like one of the most visited if not the most visited webpage in the world On the internet. Right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: For a period of time I don't yeah. I mean it was when I was managing it and it was certainly a, a, a high point of kind of mm-hmm. you know thinking about programming and a lot of interesting stories uh, about kind of you know Things that transpired in those eras, but uh, yeah, it was a, a different time than it is for Yahoo today,
0: for sure. And so you go from uh, Yahoo AOL uh, time frame to uh, you then become the CEO of a technology startup. Um, and when I was uh, doing a bunch of prep work, uh, it was a file file sharing startup, right? right? And and so. Um, I'm assuming that that kind of forays into some stuff you're doing now, but maybe just tell us a little bit about what you guys were doing there and, and kind of, um, you know, what drew you from uh, the larger kind of tech corporations to something that was a little bit smaller and fast growing?
1: Well, I, I've always kind of viewed myself more as a startup entrepreneurial guy. Before Yahoo, I had been the CEO of a small voice over IP company, kind of early days of VoIP. This is pre Skype. Uh, and so I, I knew that going from Yahoo to an early stage company was probably in the cards uh, you know, anytime I'm thinking about a career shift, and my counsel to anybody would be think about long term trends. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things that was pretty, maybe overly obvious in 20. I think it was 2011 when I was joining the company at the time. It's called You Send It. We rebranded it to Hightail, but cloud based file management. You know, again now it's like okay, I'd, everybody's using that all the time. That was actually kind of new in 2011, and. Usendit had a pretty extensive user base, and the idea was, you know, and it was a bit of a turnaround because Usendit had it kind of reached its kind of high point, if you will. Mm-hmm. And so how can we offer additional services, expand that? And I think, you know, things went reasonably okay there. We continue to grow it. Uh, the challenge is when you've got, you know, the Microsoft's of the world and Google's of the world entering the space with kind of either a loss leader or for free, and certainly having Dropbox and Box as competitors, it was a really tough slog. Uh, and ultimately, we had an opportunity to sell the company. Uh, it, did, it, it did end up selling to a company called OpenText, uh, but I exited and, you know, decided to take some time off and look at what's
0: next. Got it. Um, and so then you pop up again in the crypto world, right, kind of after that time off. Um, let's start with kind of what's the first time you remember hearing about crypto, blockchain, Bitcoin, some other, you know, application of technology? Like, do you remember what that was and kind of what caught yeah. your attention?
1: There's a, a conference that's kind of under the radar that uh, generally Oren Hoffman and Peter Thiel organize each year called Dialogue. Dialogue. And uh, I attended, di- I've attended Dialogue a bunch of times, but uh, in 2012 I attended Dialogue with a number of friends, uh, and there was a session on Bitcoin. And on the flight home, sitting with some of these guys who often are referred to, you know, some of these guys are Patient Zero for many of Silicon Valley's Bitcoin. Uh, energy. And by the time we landed, I was like, okay, okay, okay. I'll
0: buy some Bitcoin. <laughs> uh, what year is this? 2012. 2012. Okay. So real, real early and kind of that nucleus of people who now most people know are, uh, are excited about it.
1: Yeah. And I mean, you know, this is with Wences Casares, Mickey Malka, a good friend of mine, Dave Goldberg, he passed away, but you know, i remained friends with those guys. I, the, the thing that I probably was unconvinced of in that era was What's the long term opportunity of Bitcoin in a world where it's fighting against governments and fighting against banks and fighting against the institution, the man? Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, that's part of the genesis of Bitcoin. But I was always kind of, you know, I often wonder, okay, if you took a slightly different strategy with these things, would you reach broader adoption? Would you impact more people more quickly? Mm-hmm. And uh, when I, I had not heard of Ripple, I got a recruiting call, and you know, we kind of got one, really? one thing led to another.
0: So, so basically, uh, your kind of first foray was Bitcoin and, and more of what I'll call like the, the crypto ethos, if you will, uh, and then inbound recruiting call ended up kicking off the process for Ripple.
1: Yeah. It's kind of a That's color- amazing. Yeah, it's kind of a colorful story, and you know, so you, you'll maybe find it interesting. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I had left Hytale, I had time on my hands, and so I decided uh, I'd be an Uber driver. I thought that would be fun. Uh, so I drove an Uber for about a month, and one day a recruiter who I happened to know, not super well, but knew him, uh, I remember partly because he kept trying to call me and I kept hitting ignore because I had a passenger in the car. Anyway, I finally spoke to him and he says, uh, "You know, have you heard of Ripple? And I lied and I said, yes, but tell me what it does again. Anyway, so he describes what Ripple is trying to do and the kind of internet of value and mm. payments. and. The honest reaction, I said, look, super interesting. I'm not your guy. I'll give you some names from PayPal or Visa. Mm -hmm. You know, my sense is that's kind of more up the alley of what you're looking for. And in what he said, which I think is somewhat true, is that Chris Larson is one of the co-founders of Ripple. He's like, no, he's really looking for someone. If you want to change an industry, it's easier to do it a little bit from the outside perspective. Mm -hmm. And then if you hire someone from the industry, it's harder to achieve that same outcome.
0: From the time that you got the call till the day you quit driving an Uber... How how long was that?
1: Well, I I knew that wasn't that long because I didn't drive Uber very long. <laughs> <laughs> that was a one month project, but I mean, that was a fun experience and a whole different for, for a different interview for a different day.
0: San Francisco is probably one of the only you know Bay Area. San Francisco is probably one of the only areas where uh, the people who are driving for Uber could have previously had some crazy other life, and then yeah. in the future could next day be running a, a technology company. <laughs> yeah, there were a couple funny moments.
1: I mean, so one I, this is twenty. 14. And uh, I, was, I was an early Tesla driver. And so I was picking people up in my Tesla as an Uber X. And a lot of people at that time, particularly had never been in a Tesla. So you pick people up and there'd be this kind of, oh, sh-, you know, holy sh-, wait a minute. And anyway, a couple people did figure out who I was and they would tweet about it after the fact. But uh, you know, it was rather amusing.
0: That's awesome. Um, all right. So let's dive into uh, Ripple first. Um, you joined in 2015 as a CEO? As COO. COO. Yeah. Okay. Um, what drew you to Ripple eventually? Kind of what what was the the lore, if you will, as to why to join this one company out of all the companies in the Bay Area?
1: Well, it's, it's a good question. I interviewed with a bunch of different companies at the time. And I think, you know, for me, given where I was in my career, I was less interested in kind of how do I take a, a, a base hit or a, a, a double. It's kind of like, look, I, I, if you want to do something, I would really have an opportunity to borrowing a Steve Jobsism, mm. put a dent in the universe. And there's a whole lot of things uh, in the kind of, whatever, Web 2.0, Web 3.0, whatever we're in, where I look at the thing and I'm like, wait, this isn't that... I mean, it's kind of like, oh, could you, as a capitalist, make money? Sure. Yeah. But, you know, a better marketplace for dog walkers... I, I, it doesn't speak to me like mm-hmm. it doesn't speak to me as like you're changing and impacting the world in a positive way and I, i'm not taking anything away from those that have a more efficient dog walking experience mm-hmm. the uh, dogs are happier the dogs are happier. and by the way the dog walkers are you know there's like some, more money uh, yeah, yeah, yeah i'm not I, I, I know i'm not trying to be a hater to, towards that but when i look Brad at garlinghouse is a dog walk <laughs> hater <laughs> <laughs> there was a rumor at ripple for a while that i hated dogs and we know was allowed to have dogs at work and it's not that wasn't true either but anyway <laughs> Uh, So as I was looking, you know, I wanted to do something. I felt like this really, if it works, could really have a big impact. And so my risk tolerance might have been higher than some. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I had been talking to the team at Uber about a position there. I'd been talking a couple other things. And I was drawn to Ripple in part because it felt like... uh, it was it was a big swing, meaning mm-hmm. it, you know, there was a chance there was going to be it wasn't going to work, and there's a chance you're like, well, wait a minute, actually, if this works, it could be a really impactful in a lot of ways. And you know, I think through a little bit of luck, a little bit of skill, you know, I think we find ourselves in a pretty interesting spot.
0: Okay, so yeah, uh, we don't want to jump that far ahead. Sorry. Yeah, no, no, no. Well, well f- for those that don't know, there are um, at a high level two separate components to what you guys are doing. There's Ripple and there's XRP. Uh, I wanna make sure that we separate those and uh, talk about each one individually first. So Ripple, um, when somebody says to you, what does Ripple do, how do you respond and, and kind of describe the business from your perspective? Well, I usually
1: respond by, uh, I, I grew up actually in the Midwest, in Kansas, and I explain to people that when my mom asks me what do I do, I say, Mom, we sell software to banks. Pretty simple. Pretty straightforward, not mm-hmm. a lot of drama about that. The fact that the software we're selling and includes components of blockchain technologies includes solutions that leverage digital assets mm-hmm. she doesn't i mean at the end of the day i'm not even sure customers care and i think one of my critiques of the crypto ecosystem and before the show we were talking about this conference in montreal last weekend which we can talk more about but you know i think there's this echo chamber of people getting so excited about the technology we lose sight of what problem are we trying to solve for what customer and how are we going to do that and how do you go to market with it and i think i think one of things missing in the crypto ecosystem is really a a customer fixation. Uh, These are profound technologies and I think can impact lots of industries in lots of ways. But, you know, when I sit in these conferences, sometimes I hear people talking about, and frankly kind of geeking out about different technical things. I think, you know, okay, that's interesting. But if you don't think about the problem you're trying to solve, and there's a kind of a Silicon Valley statement of, you know, are you a technology in search of a problem or mm-hmm. a problem in search of a technology? Mm-hmm. I think with Ripple, we were clear about what problem and how we we're going to apply this technology. One of the first things I did when I joined Ripple, there were a number of different projects going on. We had Codeus, which is a smart contract platform. We had something called Global Identity, which is intended to be a, 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 leveraging a blockchain, leveraging the XRP ledger for, for identity management. And then there's this payments solution. And it, one of the hard decisions early on, you know, back to that peanut butter reference, is we're a small company. We cannot pursue all three of those things and be successful.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Let's pick one. Mm-hmm. Did we pick the right one? I don't know. You know, This is pre-Ethereum as the smart contracts platform and Vitalik and our CTO at the time, a guy named Stefan Thomas were close and actually Vitalik was staying on his couch and they were talking about smart contracts platforms. And There's only a couple
0: hundred people at that point that are into all this stuff, right? So they all it's knew It's a pretty each small other. community,
1: yeah. Anyway, yeah, uh, you know, we decided to focus on you know payments as a solution and liquidity as a solution for financial institutions and again I you know you can never know is that the right path, but I think that focus of going very narrow and very deep has served us well. Uh, I think there's a lot of people in the industry who have gone wide and thin where uh, there's a lot of experimentation but not a lot of traction and clear demonstrable usage
0: for sure so one caveat I should put out in the conversation um, which I was somewhat clear on on Twitter but I think it's important for listeners to know uh, I actually know very little about Ripple and XRP and so uh, I've got what I'll call a basic understanding of what I could Google around and learn about Um, so I was excited to do this because one I get to learn from the source uh, and then two is to try to get a counterbalance view of the world I um, reached out to a bunch of people tweeted a bunch of times saying hey send me all the questions send me all the questions Uh, so I think I've got a much more holistic view but my understanding of what ripple is today uh in terms of products and and i want you to kind of gut check me to make sure this is correct is um there's three separate products right there's x current x rapid and x via are the ones that kind of came up from all the research online one is that an accurate portrayal of kind of the different products uh and then two kind of can you take us through each product and what they do exactly sure so I mean, that, that is a reasonably fair characterization, exactly. you know. Sure, some, I don't get it perfect. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it, part enough. of that
1: is you know, anytime you're in a nascent industry, it changes quickly. <laughs> you know, even X Rapid as a product name, we're kind of evolving to something we call just on demand liquidity because that's more okay. descriptive about what it does, but. That's not that critical for today. So those are the three products, I'll talk briefly about them. Uh, X-Current is really the idea that banks today use existing pools of liquidity, so Mm pre-funded accounts. If Mm -hmm. I have the Bank of Pomp and the Bank of Brad, you can be Mexican pesos, I'll be US dollars, I would pre-fund Mexican pesos at your bank and you would pre-fund dollars at my bank and then we would use SWIFT to debit and credit that. Mm -hmm. With our first product, X-Current, you can do that much more efficiently, much more quickly, than how the current system works. Mm-hmm. And not surprisingly, banks like that. That's mm-hmm. good. Uh, and so we have had adoption of X current. But to be clear, and I think one of the things that there was misunderstanding about years ago, is that doesn't touch crypto. That is, you know, it kind of we describe it as kind of a temporary blockchain between two endpoints. That's a private transaction. It's not mm-hmm. going to be published. Uh, you know, banks and financial, financial institutions have sensitivity about their transactions being broadcast everywhere. Uh, but that's the first product. Mm-hmm. The second product, X Rapid, which we now really call on-demand liquidity, is this idea that I don't have to pre-fund to the Bank of Pomp. I don't want to put Mexican pesos out there. I don't really trust the Bank of Pomp. And increasingly, I don't want to have truly, there's trillions of dollars pre-funded in accounts around the world. Mm-hmm. If I, as a bank, don't have to pre-fund that liquidity out into the world, I can use it for other purposes. Now, there's a whole bunch of things to go with that. You know, one is if I'm funding, the Mexican peso is reasonably stable, but if I was, let's say the Argentinian peso, there's a lot of currencies out there that you don't want to hold. And if you hold them, you're going to try to hedge them. On top of that, you have things like quarterly compliance requirements about how's the Bank of Pomp doing. I've got, uh, you know, frankly, one of the things that changed after the financial crisis is something called... uh, I forget the name of it at top of my mind. They changed the regulatory framework, Basel III. Okay. Uh, Basel III changed the regulatory requirement about how banks' tier one capital ratio is calculated. It used to be that the Bank of Brad could trust the Bank of Pomp, and the Bank of Pomp and your regulators could trust the Bank of Brad. Mm-hmm. After the financial crisis, we realized we don't trust other banks. So my deposits that I have at the Bank of Pomp no longer count towards my capital ratio. So when we talk about tier one capital, that no longer counts. Well guess what that means the bank of pomp and the bank of Brad I don't
0: want to have those accounts out there because it means I've got you know, I need more liquidity elsewhere and it's because if i if I can bring those back in rather than keep them at your bank then they count towards my capital
1: that's correct okay. or I can okay. I can dividend that money I can do whatever I want with that money it's my money okay
0: and and I don't need to hold it on my end in order to still use for transactions like I don't just rather than hold it at your institution I just now hold it at mine for the uh, transaction well that's what so that's what this is what on-demand liquidity solves. So what on-demand liquidity or
1: Rapid allows you to do is say, Bank of Pomp holds a dollar. I'm going to sell the dollar. I'm going to buy a unit of XRP. I'm going to move that unit of XRP from a U.S. dollar-denominated exchange to a Mexican peso-denominated exchange. I'm going to sell the XRP. I'm going to buy a Mexican peso. You can have that whole transaction completed in seconds. What today would mean pre-funding and debiting, crediting, and you know, you're wiring in it. If, if you're a financial institution, you might be sending liquidity in every 10 days or something. now I can payment by payment, or even if it's treasury, I can not prefund 10 million dollars a week. I can send mm-hmm. you know 100,000 dollars every four hours mm-hmm. and I don't have to prefund so that, that allows me to bring working capital back to me. There's payment providers out there. some of these are public companies, so you know this isn't proprietary information. but Moneygram has negative working capital to the tune of hundreds of millions of dollars of negative, negative working capital. Why? Because of these pre-funded accounts. Got it. If they don't have the pre-funded accounts, all of a sudden they have a lower... I mean, by the way, I'm not pretending we're going to solve this overnight worldwide. But over time, if we can bring that from, you know, a few hundred million to 200 million to 100 million, you know, the the enterprise value of MoneyGram is somewhere around 1.5 billion debt plus the equity. You know, if you can move that by a couple hundred million dollars, that's actually really material to a business like MoneyGram's. Mm -hmm. Now you extrapolate that to not just other remittance companies, but banks. It's a very big deal for how global liquidity is managed and the impact, frankly, to the global economic engine. We make global commerce more efficient by making payments more efficient. Mm -hmm. If we can do that at
0: scale, we can make the whole economy more successful. So one of the questions, well, let's go through Xvia next and then we'll get into the XRP and kind of how that works. I'll keep Xvia super simple. Think of it
1: as a corporate API wrapper so that a corporate can write to one API and shoot off payments globally
0: okay and this is all over uh, one of the other terms that kept coming up is ripple net correct is that something separate than these three products no, or those
1: three products represent ripple net okay so when you connect into
0: ripple net you're touching those three products so uh if i am a bank can i buy one product and not the other two or do i get kind of all three wrapped up as one one offering if you will
1: from a technical point of view the way we deploy it is you're kind of getting all the pieces that way if you signed up for x current and you want to add on to x rapid later or on-demand mm-hmm. liquidity later
0: it's an easy evolution mm-hmm. uh but you can sign up for one product and um, am I, as a bank, uh, you know, Ripple comes to me, salesperson or, or customer person, and says, uh, hey, we've got this product, here's how it works, here's the advantages, et cetera. Do you want to use it? I'm paying to use that product. Are you uh, taking a transaction fee? Is it an upfront payment? Like, how do, just how do I interact with Ripple as a company?
1: We have an enterprise sales force the way, I mean, back to yep. my kind of word, enterprise software company. Uh, so we have enterprise salespeople out Traveling the world, meeting with banks, other financial institutions, and we're signing contracts with them. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, we've been pretty
0: traditional software contract.
1: Yeah. uh, I mean, traditional is loose here. I mean, it's not Salesforce. You just light up an instance. This is not that right. You're deploying typically deploying behind the firewall. Okay. And so, you know, generically, you know, without disclosing all of how our contracts work. You know, you're, si- you're paying a software license fee.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You're typically paying a professional services fee for deployment costs mm-hmm. because, again, we're se- typically sending people to your location to do deployment
0: work. Mm-hmm. And the third is transaction fees. Okay. So, kind of like uh, the first two sound similar like an IBM type model, right? Give or take. You, you don't have to say IBM, but somebody like IBM. <laughs> sure. <laughs> enterprise software. Yeah, enterprise software. Enterprise software. And then there's a, basically some sort of. Uh, revenue you guys derive from how much is used or the transaction volume that somebody uh, participates in right got it okay um so you described earlier that um some of the products use xrp let's switch gears from ripple to xrp now what is xrp and and i think this is where a lot of the controversy lays probably so let's be really kind of thorough in terms of how you would describe it and, and kind of what the purpose is
1: XRP is an open source software, XRP ledger is open source software, the X, uh, XRP is the digital asset resident on the XRP Ledger. Uh, some of the founders of Ripple were involved with the creation of the XRP Ledger. The XRP Ledger started before Ripple, the company, was created.
0: Uh, okay, hold on, ex- explain this, so uh, some of the people from Ripple involved in the creation, but XRP Ledger was actually started before the company Ripple.
1: So the, the, sequentially, a yep. group of engineers gets together and, you know, candidly, some of these engineers had been early Bitcoin engineers. Mm-hmm. Their view was, hey, there's going to be some scalability limitations of how Bitcoin works. Mm-hmm. Uh, they set out to build a better Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, you know, an impressively prescient way they saw, look, if you extrapolate this out and you really want this to be the future of payments, can you scale a proof of work like model to be to enable an internet of value, and that's that's challenging. So they were like, and I think they would attest to their original view was, hey, we're going to set out to build a better Bitcoin. We're going to build Bitcoin 2.0. And you know, we don't talk about that today because I don't view this as a competition between Bitcoin and XRP. I don't view. I mean, I think there's going to be multiple winners in this. The, world the internet will take care of that competition. Yeah, they definitely well, see it. <laughs> the, the, the marketplace will take care of the competition. Meaning you know, it's not gonna be the chatter of the echo chamber of Twitter and the crypto world. It's gonna be customers. Mm-hmm. You know, Is this solving a problem for customers? I just point out, look, I think one of the areas of FUD is people are like, Brad hates Bitcoin. I am long Bitcoin, I own Bitcoin. I am not bearish on Bitcoin. I, I just don't, Bitcoin is not going to solve a payments problem. So the Satoshi White Paper says a payments network it's not going to be a payments network and the reason is that the nature of proof of work and from a scalability point of view is significantly limiting how you know the throughput uh transaction time transaction cost the xrp ledger is much 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 more efficient i typically say it's about a thousand times faster per transaction it's about a thousand times cheaper per transaction
0: so one of the questions and we're kind of jumping around a little bit here so if you're listening bear with us um one of the things I think that Bitcoiners would say is there's a uh, relationship between security and speed, and uh, if you speed up the transactions, then uh, you could be giving up security, right? And some, there's some le- le- uh, level of trade-off there. Agree, disagree? Do you think that there's a kind of a, a more gray area, is not so black and white? And just how do you think of you know the, the trade-off between speed, security, Bitcoin, and, and how XRP works? I, I'm going to intentionally somewhat dodge the question. Okay, <laughs> I mean, look, I've read that meme, and I, it's
1: kind of a recent meme, in my opinion. I, I didn't hear that two years ago, but now I kind of re- read stuff now, and people say that uh, the XRP ledger has existed since 2012, I think 2012. Uh, we've never had a transaction unwound. We've never had a hack against the the ledger. Like, so do I think we have compromised? Do I do I think the creators of the XRP ledger compromised security? to the benefit of efficiency and speed, I don't see it. I, 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 I'd like to see the data that, I, I mean, again, I, I've read that, I, I've read that meme,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, but I've never read it, and you know, here's an example of where mm-hmm. there's a, people optimized for speed and efficiency, but then there was a, a security issue.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I think it's a fair point for you to say, hey, look, this has never been hacked you know, and generalized. Um, I think that there's probably other people who have tried to increase efficiency, therefore given up some security, and there has been a hack. And so, um, maybe a fair critique of that would be if it happens in one place, doesn't mean it's going to happen everywhere. And also, um, what level of security is needed, right, in order to run a system? Um, and if there is a relationship between security and speed, is there some middle ground between the two, right? Yeah, I guess I'm just, I'm challenging the
1: premise that there's a trade-off between security and speed. I'll be totally candid. Part of I'm dodging the question is like, I I am not the cryptographer at Ripple who's going to... We're in the same boat. So, you know, (laughs) I'm a little over my skis and trying to defend this point, but I I think I'm reasonably smart about this stuff. I have read the meme that Mm -hmm. you're trading off security for efficiency. Mm -hmm. I haven't seen any proof of that. The people who I trust the most from a technology point of view in this area I think if they were on your show
0: would argue that yeah I, I, so I don't feel we'll do confident enough to do that the Twitter detectives Go to work. Right, here we yeah, there <laughs> you go. Go argue about that and you can tweet at me about how I'm wrong. But tweet at Joel Katz on that also and he'll defend me. <laughs> no, that, that, that's fair. Um, all right, so XRP um, is a digital asset that goes on the XRP ledger, right? Um, and then describe uh, kind of how it works into the product itself because it sounds like it's not all three products within the RippleNet actually use XRP. Some of them do, some of them don't. So just kind of... well, the, the only product that we are selling to
1: customers that uses the XRP ledger is on-demand liquidity. Okay, right. So I was describing the bank of pump selling. I can't remember if you were dollar or peso, yeah. but you're selling whatever that fiat is. You're buying XRP. You're moving it. You're transacting back. Uh, you know, if you're just going point to point on
0: fiat, you're not touching XRP. Mm-hmm. And so um, some of the pieces here, I think, are, one, uh, banks do this with fiat. It's slow. There's a bunch of issues. There's the deposit issue, um, that stuff. Two is then some people would say, well, why don't you just use Bitcoin or some other digital asset instead of XRP? it's
1: a great question. I, if, I know I'm interrupting you, yeah, yeah, but if I may. We had a really interesting debate internally when we were architecting and kind of product design around XRapid or on-demand mm-hmm. liquidity. And one of the debates internally was, well, wait a minute. What happens if we're launching uh, on-demand liquidity into Poland? And there is, I think it's, well, no, maybe let's not use that. because I think that's the euro. Let's use uh, Peru. I think it's the lira. You know, to be honest, I'm over my skis on that, too. If we're going into a market where there's no liquidity with XRP, Mm -hmm. then our product isn't going to work.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So we architected the product to be flexible enough to say, look, maybe ETH has a ton of liquidity into Peru. Mm-hmm. Maybe Bitcoin has a ton of liquidity in Peru. The, the point here is we were focused on solving the customer's problem. If that meant that we were using Bitcoin to solve it, okay. Mm -hmm. So we made the product flexible enough that it would use the most efficient rail. Mm -hmm. Now, it happens to be that we have never used anything other than XRP because actually XRP is extremely fast and extremely inexpensive on a per transaction basis.
0: Do you look at it as XRP is the default? And then if there's not the liquidity, then you would go to the other ones, right? Yeah, I think that's the right right? way to think about it. Yeah, got it. Um,
1: Okay. By the way, the reason I'm emphasizing that is back to you even, I can't remember what you said earlier, but you're talking about what I heard was kind of this, there is Religions around all things crypto, tribalism, absolutely tribalism, religiosity, whatever you know, and, right. I, and I think it's
0: really unhealthy. Okay, I I, I just had somebody on who said that toxicity was positive. So go ahead, go. <laughs> yeah, I, I, <laughs> I don't I don't know who that was, but I, I look,
1: and I, I at this, I mean, I thought this conference I was at in Montreal was supposed to be super confidential. I saw an article about it, a Modern Consensus. So apparently, it's not that <laughs> confidential. But one of the things I argued in front of this kind of hundred people is, I don't think. What Ripple is doing is competing with almost anybody else in that room at that point, and I'm sure there are examples of people we're competing with, but I want them to be successful.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I want the ETH projects to be successful. I want the Bitcoin projects to be successful. I, I don't view that as a bad thing for us. In fact, the more successful they are, the better it is for me. In fact, when I hear about companies in our space that are struggling and might have a bad outcome, mm-hmm. that's bad for me. Mm-hmm. I think we're at a stage and, you know, I, I joined the internet space. We didn't get back to my early, early time, but I moved to Silicon Valley in 1997. This is, you know, a year-ish past the Netscape IPO. Uh, it was early days. Mm-hmm. And I feel very similar. Like, look, all boats can rise here. And I, when I hear about the tribalism and all the toxicity, I, I'm not here to hate on almost anybody. Mm-hmm. I, I'm here to hate on people who aren't open-minded and thoughtful and are, you know, maybe almost pedantic in their approach of just like, this is better because Mm -hmm. uh, I want to solve a customer problem using a set of technologies that includes the XRP ledger, that includes the digital asset XRP. I think we're doing that effectively. We're scaling very quickly. Uh, It's going well. Mm -hmm. Uh, I would think other people would want to root for that success because I think we're the only scaled scaled blockchain crypto solution out there. Period. Full stop. There's a lot of experiments.
0: You think that you're the only scaled... Say it again.
1: I think that what Ripple is doing is the only scaled example of crypto and blockchain being used like at, at scale, mm-hmm. period. How now, do you measure that? Let, let me that? qualify that because yeah, I know yeah. the, the Twitter is going <laughs> to go berserk on that.
0: I just tried to save you for the record. I don't know, so how, I do, how, do you, how do you measure that? <laughs> well,
1: I mean, okay, so first of all, I'll back off it by saying, look, clearly Bitcoin as a store of value is a use case I believe in. I'm long mm-hmm. Bitcoin. That, that is working. It's, mm-hmm. It is scaled. Mm -hmm. Uh, What I'm talking about more is that enterprise solution. There's a lot of experiments around how blockchains can impact different kinds of transactions. Mm -hmm. I use the word experiments really specifically. Mm -hmm. I can't point to other examples where, I mean, Ripple has hundreds of customers Mm -hmm. using these technologies to solve a real problem. Mm -hmm. We have real volume. Uh, You know, we can get into some of that volume information, but like,
0: things are going really really well mm-hmm. i want these other projects to do really really well so let's get into progress because that, that's a huge question that people have just and, and i think this is coming both from the uh the believers and the detractors camp of just like where are you guys today so hundreds of customers um my understanding is some big names some small names everyone in between uh, what kind of data can you share um in terms of you know kind of milestones or, or data that that Um, illuminates what that progress has been.
1: Right. So uh, a whole bunch of thoughts I'll throw in here. One is, uh, so we have publicly disclosed. We have over 200 customers. I don't think we've updated the number since then. Uh, You know, we have... You can update right now if you want. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think I know the exact number. At some point, and I'm not trying to be tongue-in-cheek, but like you stop counting at some point. It's just like, are we at 248 or 260? I don't know. Uh, What I have also publicly shared is that we have been on a pace of signing about two... Uh, two enterprise-grade contracts per week. Okay. So what that basically means is you have 52 weeks in a a year. We're signing, on average, about 100 contracts. Uh, We'll sign more than that this year. Uh, We beat our forecast for Q3 that just ended last week. And, you know, that's a leading indicator of increased adoption. I'll, I'll tell you one interesting kind of anecdote. We were at Cybos Big Banking Conference in London a few weeks ago. And meeting with uh, a bank we don't work with today, big transaction bank, correspondent bank. And uh, the team there was sitting down and one of the guys in the room said, well, it's become a question of not if we're going to work with Ripple, it's when. Because 26 of their correspondents are already working with Ripple. Got it. So if you're this bank and you're not working with Ripple, it actually is inefficient for them not to actually join the network. Mm -hmm. And this is one of the reasons why I get excited about the business model. The network effects, you know, there's is Metcalfe's law. The value of a network expands based on the square of the nodes on the network.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We're seeing that happen. You know, the, the thing that the, the skeptics should ask is, well, if you were one of the first five customers to sign up for RippleNet, why would you sign up? Mm-hmm. It's like the first person bought a telephone. There's nobody to talk to,
0: mm-hmm.
1: which is true. I tell my sales lead that his job gets easier day by day. And, look, there's evidence to show that it does. Now, translating that traction with a customer contract, and one of the first... Uh, OKRs, which is
0: how we kind of manage objectives and key results. You're using Silicon Valley language. You're going to get them all uh, messed up. OKRs are basically uh, like key performance metrics. Perfect. Uh, When I first got to the company,
1: our kind of key performance metric was contracts. Mm -hmm. And over time, I realized that the contracts wasn't the most important metric. It was deployments. Because you can sign the contract, but if it's not deployed within some reasonable amount of time, you haven't made that much progress. Then Mm -hmm. we started tracking deployments as the most important metric. And then we realized it's actually not deployments, it's actually volume. Because at some point you wanna sell the contract, deploy it, and then you want volume going over. Either a new use case being built on mm-hmm. a new rail, or moving existing volume over to that rail. Mm-hmm. So today our, the key metric we track more than anything else is volume. And okay. you know, we track primarily volume by tran- number of transactions as opposed to dollar volume. Okay. And the reason is, like to some degree you could do a small number, we have a, a handful of customers that are it's uh, you know corporate use cases where there's one large bank uh, where their average transaction size is tens of millions of dollars per transaction. Mm-hmm. That kind of skews all the other data because you have other transactions like $30 each. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, we think about the number of transactions. The number of transactions has been doubling quarter over quarter for about eight quarters.
0: Okay. Well, we, give us a ballpark of where... I don't know. Are, I are honestly don't, sa- thousands, millions? Oh, many thousands.
1: Uh, we're not yet... Uh, I, there's a chance we'll hit millions this year.
0: Millions per quarter or millions per year? There's a chance we'll hit, there's a chance we'll hit millions this year. So millions in For, one single 12month period. Yeah, yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay.. All right.
1: <laughs> um, Look, I know I mean there's a couple of things on you know why we're kind of protective about what we disclose. One is, these are banks. These yeah, are financial yeah, yeah. institutions. Like I don't have permission to share. You know, uh, they, they get rather sensitive when I start yep. sharing specifics about their transaction bank. It's, it's confidential so information I, to them. I,
0: I will. Uh, I'll let you off the hook to a degree with uh, one question that I saw f- uh, from Twitter, and I forget who asked it, so I apologize. Uh, but you get credit. This is my credit to uh, the Twitter user. Is um, they said, "What percentage of the customers?" Right. So they basically were saying, "Look." I believe that you sign up all these customers, right? It's very obvious that if you have a better software product to give to them and it can help them run their business, duh, they're going to pay for it. It's just classic business. Uh, but what percentage of the customers have more than 1% of all their volume going oh. through uh, a Ripple Net type engagement or, or yeah. product versus that's a, that's 99% a, going elsewhere? By the way, I think that's a, a good and interesting question. Yeah, I thought it, it was. <laughs> it,
1: it presumes that I know their total volume. That That's fair. Which... I would imagine typically we don't know, okay now uh, I mean there are some customers where I mean let's let's use Moneygram as an example that's very public that they're working with us and what have you. right now we're only live in you know two corridors, okay Mexican and, peso and Philippine peso. okay so my get I'm, I'm purely just conjecture here and they're a public company, so somebody could probably figure this out. but even if we had a hundred percent of their volume live in the Mexican peso and Philippine peso, what percentage of the total would that be? I don't know. I mean, my guess is those two, Mexico is probably a very, very big percentage Mm -hmm. of their business, meaning, well, but big, meaning maybe 20 at most, Mm -hmm. maybe 10. I don't know.
0: What do you think, um, let's just take that as an example, Uh, what do you think your volume in Mexican peso is in terms of compared to them using RippleNet versus not? 50-50? It's less than that now in ramping, and the reason why that's the case is we are,
1: slowly increasing one of the key things we talked about earlier is you need liquidity between xrp and mxn Mm
0: -hmm.
1: so uh one of the challenges i think for the whole crypto world is uh i've been fond of saying that the long-term value of any digital asset will be derived from the utility it delivers Mm -hmm. the utility for most crypto today is purely speculation now we could argue that that's a step forward from you know, illicit use cases of Silk Road. And so we've gone from illicit use cases to speculation. I think the next chapter will be all about real utility. Mm -hmm. But if today 99.9% is speculation, I have said, you know, look, we want to get all crypto from 99.9 to 99 to 98 to 97, what have you. There have been days over the last, you know, handful of weeks where 80% of the volume to XRP and MXN was associated with our on-demand liquidity product. Mm -hmm. So we went from 99.9 to 20 being Mm -hmm. speculation now that actually creates a different problem the problem that creates is if there's not enough liquidity can we push more value through that pipe unless there's more liquidity Mm -hmm. and so we work with market makers and to some degrees liquidity begets liquidity if if there's a market there market makers whether you know in all shapes and sizes will participate uh and hoping to kind of generate their own value from participating there
0: for sure. And, and so um, last question around kind of just progress. Uh, as you're signing, let's say, two contracts per week on average, right, you're kind of doubling the transactions quarter over quarter. Um, things appear, you know, based on that data kind of going being up and to the right. Where are you finding um, – a bank that is uh kind of the average customer what is the value to them right in terms of you've got these three products are they coming in and saying hey i'm actually using all three of these as part of ripple net and i kind of get the full experience do you find that they're just using one of the three more than the others like what is the i guess kind of the value proposition that the average customer is finding today i would say 90 percent of the customer's first touch point is for
1: x current okay because it's solving a problem that they it's it's easy to kind of explain the value proposition you already have two pools of liquidity you're using some sort of solution to settle between those to you know, for messaging this is a better way to do that and that's the entry point once we are at the entry point then we can say to the bank of pomp hey you have you know you have a correspondent in the philippines your the, the cost to maintain that correspondent is whatever hey there's a better way to do that let's find a more efficient way to do that and you know, oftentimes, you know, when people first hear the word crypto, there's a little bit of a, uh, particularly in the banking world, once you explain to someone that every Ripple enabled transaction is KYC'd, mm-hmm. every Ripple enabled transaction is checked for AML, OFAC, you know, other acronyms filled mm-hmm. in, all of a sudden they're like, oh, okay, this is just, this is better, this is a better way to facilitate liquidity. Mm-hmm. I think that the posture for banks changes pretty quickly. If you don't mind, I'll tell you one anecdote on this. Yeah, it's kind of funny. Uh, About two and a half years ago, a very senior guy from a big correspondent bank uh, with whom we were working says, hey, Brad, you know, look, we're super excited to be working with you. I just want you to know that this whole, like they were using X Current. And, you know, he took it upon himself to say, look, uh, we love what we're doing, but just so you know, like we're never going to use crypto for liquidity. Okay, I get you. Thank you. You know, uh, we're thrilled to be working with you. Happy place. 18 months later, same guy and the CEO of the entire bank come to visit our office in San Francisco. And what they said is, "Hey, we're ready to start talking about how you can help us with liquidity." Mm -hmm. What was interesting to me about that is, you know, we had the opportunity to talk to them about how they can use XRP for liquidity because we were already a trusted partner in solving a problem for them and how they already worked. And I I think that we keep kind of breaking down those walls, and I think that's good for the whole crypto community. By the way, Mm -hmm. dispelling the idea that crypto is inherently somehow you know used for illicit purposes and those Mm -hmm. things. You know, I think it's Talking about real use cases, solving real problems,
0: having real utility, I think is good for the whole industry. So uh, this is a great segue because another set of questions, and this came from a a whole different group of people, and I kind of distilled them down into a couple of bullet points, um, was one of the big things that I think um, Bitcoin specifically gets uh, both praise and detraction about is uh, its lack of... um, Ability for law enforcement or governments to stop it, right? So there's a lot of people who love the fact that hey, you can't censor this stuff, you can't seize it, you know, all the all the things that we you know believe it that Bitcoin brings to the table. The flip side of that is there's a lot of people who don't like that, right? Hey, there's. Economic sanctions. And, governments yeah, don't all, like that. It's, it's not a lot of people don't like that. Governments don't like that. <laughs> there's plenty of people, right? Um, and so there's a whole set of questions. I, I kind of just put this under like law enforcement and governments. Um, and so things like, you know, how does Ripple deal with government requests about user information or account blacklisting and, and the things that I think people say that's not possible when it comes to Bitcoin? How do you guys handle that? Have you guys had those requests? Maybe just kind of elaborate on some of those issues. Skirt, skirt. Want to know who has the best URL? Crypto.com. That's right. Crypto.com. They're a crypto platform with one goal. Mother mass adoption. That's why we're all here. We're trying to get crypto in every wallet. Crypto.com is helping people do that through buying, earning, lending, and card payment. Everything you could want at Crypto.com. Go help your boy out. Tell him Pomp sent you. Download the app or visit Crypto.com. Pomp's got you always. Ever wanted to get into mining and didn't know how? Don't worry, your boy Pomp's got you. Everybody got some electricity and Wi-Fi. All you gotta do is go to coinmine.com, you buy a coin mine, it's like an Xbox or a PlayStation that helps you turn your electricity into Bitcoin. That's right, you purchase it, it shows up at your doorstep, you pull it out of the box, you plug it in, connect to your Wi-Fi, five minutes or less, you're mining Bitcoin. All you have to do is control it from the mobile app they provide, and then you receive over-the-air updates that add new coins and new features on a consistent basis. Kind of like how Tesla does over-the-air updates and updates the car software. Just you're updating your coin mine. Consumer mining made easy. That's right. Go to coinmine.com, tell them Pomp setcha, you, and thank me later. One more word from our sponsor, BlockFi. Their new interest account allows you to securely deposit your Bitcoin or Ether at BlockFi and receive 6% annual interest paid monthly in cryptocurrency. This rate actually compounds, so you receive a 6.2% APY, which is very attractive given the alternatives. So you can actually take your Bitcoin, you can deposit it with BlockFi, and get paid an interest rate of 6% in return. Go check out BlockFi.com POMP. Again, BlockFi.com POMP to sign up and start earning interest on your crypto today. How does Ripple deal with government requests about user information or account blacklisting and and the things that I think people say that's not possible when it comes to Bitcoin? How do you guys handle that? Have you guys had those requests? Maybe just kind of elaborate on some of those issues.
1: Well, I'll start with a rather simplistic answer. Mm -hmm. We don't, right? We don't onboard customers. Mm -hmm. The Bank of Pomp does. Okay. If the government wants to come and look at a transaction for the Bank of Pomp, they go to the Bank of Pomp, then nothing changed. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I'm being a little bit overly simplistic, but the way that the Bank of Pomp is regulated today, whether they're using Ripple's technologies underneath or not, Mm -hmm. doesn't change. Okay. So, when they want to come and validate, this is for Ripple. Yep. If they want to come and validate a I, mean, I can't remember the exact example you were
0: yep. using. So, so let's, let's say that I want to. I'll give you two examples. Let's say that uh, I'm a person of interest to the government, and I send a transaction to somebody. It goes through RippleNet XRP. Well, it it goes used. through a bank. It, go, yeah, it goes a, through a regulated financial institution. And, and my it goes transaction to another
1: regulated financial institution. Yep.
0: And the government says, "I want to learn more about that." They go to the bank, and I'm assuming that they send you guys requests as well, or no? Uh, I mean we we don't necessarily have the
1: identity. you know back to the privacy of mm-hmm. you know we sign a customer we don't necessarily have that information we, matter of fact not just we don't necessarily i'm trying to think of an example where we would have that information
0: mm-hmm.
1: if the bank of pomps transacted with the bank of brad i you know i i don't get the identity cuz i didn't do an onboarding
0: so basically the way and, and this is me learning here for a second um there's two ways that these systems work right is uh there could be um I want to call it shielded because I think that has a negative connotation, but basically, this idea that uh, Bank of Pomp sends money to Bank of Brad. The processor of that transaction can see personally identif- uh, identifiable information. It can see all the details, the transaction, who it is, all that kind of stuff. And then there's a way for it to basically happen without any sort of information being shared from the bank to the uh, payment processor. Which bucket are you guys in? The latter. The latter. Okay. I mean, but
1: both endpoints. the the Bank of Pompa, maybe I shouldn't say the Bank of Brad because I am Ripple, but uh, you know, both endpoints see the information and they have access to information. And we actually, one of the things that we do through RippleNet is make the passing of that information much more robust than how SWIFT works today. The banks like that. Uh, And frankly, governments like that. mm -hmm. Uh, You know, this idea that, independent of my own political views, Mm -hmm. this idea that crypto is gonna kinda take down governments uh, m- might be for certain segments appealing. I think about this a little more pragmatically. How do we apply these technologies to bring greater efficiency to commerce? To greater efficiency for the immigrant who lives in you know San Jose, California, and wants to send money home to Guatemala, and thirty percent of their transaction is coming out in fees. Like that's shitty. Mm-hmm. You know w- w- that doesn't need to be yeah, there. You're,
0: you're, you're basically saying, like many companies in crypto for sure uh hey there's rules there's regulations we're going to play within the rules and regulations yeah but the only thing you said there that i didn't necessarily agree with is like many in crypto
1: (laughs) well i I think one of the challenges is a lot of people in crypto i think are doing a disservice by you know championing things that we know that governments aren't going to be on board with
0: yeah i think it's and and part of it too is right it's always a balance between uh Somebody's got to break the rules to change the rules. But at the same time, uh, if you break the wrong rules or you do the wrong things, then there's punishments. Right. And so it's kind of I've got you ready for this. I got a saying that uh, one of my partners says all the time. He goes, uh, pioneers end up in ditches. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Well, look, I also think there's a difference between, you know, I can on a personal level, I can look at
1: what Uber was doing and kind of disrupting the taxi union and think, okay, like I get it. You know when you start talking about the disruption of let's say you know, the intentional circumvention of kyc requirements you know i know there are examples and you know uh with governments that maybe aren't to be trusted and you could argue maybe the us government yeah, isn't yeah. to be trusted we live in a world of governments that's not going to change anytime soon we do a kind of an annual customer conference called swell and a couple years ago actually exact Two years ago, we did it in Toronto, and Ben Bernanke was our keynote. And I thought, you know, first of all, I thought it was great. Back to like, it's good for the crypto community that Ben Bernanke is doing a keynote for a crypto conference. In effect. I mean, obviously, Ripple's a little different. You also had sort of Snoop Dogg pure. once, right? That was for uh, – he wasn't speaking at a conference, oh. but he was – that's another story. We can talk about that next. Yeah, I'm just
0: impressed that you got Ben Bernanke and, and Snoop Dogg at two same, separate yeah. things. Those All are right. like six months apart. Keep, keep going. All right. So what
1: Ben Bernanke was saying, which I, I subscribe to, is that if you're talking about G20 markets, to give up the ability for them to control their money supply is giving up their sovereignty they're going to bring out the tanks before they give up their sovereignty. His point was basically that, you know, if, if what you are doing is threatening to, threatening the sovereignty of a nation, that is a that is a very high kind of attack on a nation, and they're going to fight that aggressively. And so I when I see people doing things in the crypto world that I feel like – and I use G20 specifically because, look, there are many countries who have already lost control of their money supply. You know, we could choose Zimbabwe as an example uh, – that is amusing to learn about, but there's a whole lot of markets, you know, when I use the G20 that they're not going to just sit idly by and, you know, have their fiat and have their ability to control monetary policy be disrupted.
0: For sure. One more question on this and then we'll move on. Um, if I am a uh, bank of pomp and since we won't use bank of Brad, we will for a uh, laughs and uh, and jokes uh, we'll call Bank of Satoshi that I'm gonna send send money to. <laughs> Very good. Uh,
1: if I, I send from, I, I think there would be a Bank of Satoshi
0: by now. There probably is. S- somebody somewhere created yeah, it. Yeah. Somebody definitely bought the domain bankofsatoshi.com. Yeah. You're welcome for the free advertising. Um, if I send money from Bank of Pomp to Bank of Satoshi, but Bank of Satoshi is located in Iran, let's say, right? So a company that, or a country that is sanctioned by the US, um, massive ramifications if you tried to do this in the tr- you know quote unquote traditional banking system. One, can I do that through RippleNet? I'm assuming no, but I'll let you clarify. And then two, uh, along with that, can you as Ripple or RippleNet blacklist certain accounts, et cetera? Or is that done at a bank level? Like, What is your control over in terms of blacklisting and and preventing sending of money? In reverse order,
1: we can't blacklist because we don't have PII. Okay. So if I could... Blacklist pomp, I would. <laughs> That's just a general rule. <laughs> Not pomp, but there's some others out there that I might. We could uh, on the first question. We don't work with any banks in Iran. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when we think about what quality, so first of all, there's obviously U.S. government requirements about certain countries you can't do business with. Iran would be on that list. Mm-hmm. When we think beyond that, you know, if if a bank is a SWIFT enabled bank, we generally look at that and say, okay, they're part of the global banking infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Ergo, there's no reason why Ripple shouldn't work with them.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the question is less about the specific country, more so uh, whatever the rules of a legacy bank are presented, right? So if they can't send money to Iran, XRP can't be sent there as well through RippleNet because you're working with these banking partners.
1: Yeah, and, and keep They're, in mind that the, the Bank of Pomp, at the end of the day, you, you Bank of Pomp, can be connected to RippleNet, and you still are choosing with whom you're settling across the network.
0: Mm-hmm. So,
1: I mean, if let's not use Iran, let's use... Uh, Let's use Zimbabwe because I imagine a lot of people might have concerns about settling with banks in Zimbabwe. Uh, You know, I think you may choose. I'm not, I'm, even though I'm connected to RippleNet, even though it's super efficient, it's super fast, super low cost. Do I want to have as a correspondent a bank
0: in Zimbabwe? That, you know, that, that's up to you. It's up to me. Yeah. Got it. All right. So I want to play a game uh, (coughs) that I call Devil's Advocate. But before we play, um, and and the point of this game is essentially to uh, present to you the, I can't say thousands, hundreds of people or tens of people who tweeted at me all kinds of crazy conspiracy theories, uh, detractions, uh, and then even some that seemed pretty valid, right, in, in terms of uh, what they were saying. Before we do that, though, the number one topic by far that everyone was focused on was XRP sales, right? Yep. And there was a whole bunch of stuff around that. Before asking any questions, you just kind of describe how do the sales work, and kind of as you sit on the Ripple side as CEO, um, how do you view XRP escrow sales revenue, all this kind of yeah. stuff? Yeah, all right. So I'm, I, I'll start talking about. It. I'm sure I'm going to
1: miss a couple of things you just asked about there because uh, there are a whole bunch of good questions in there.
0: It's a great interview technique to throw out a bunch of questions and then you just see just you see where I bite. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: So, uh, I mean, look, I'm glad you're asking about this. I think there's a bunch of misinformation. Mm-hmm. You know, before the show, I said to you, look, one of the reasons I'm here is because I think there's a bunch of misinformation. And I think we need to get a little more aggressive about clarifying some of that. The first thing I'll say is that people kind of lose sight of, I think, is we are the most interested party in the success and health of the XRP ecosystem. We being Ripple. We Ripple. Yep. We yep. own, I mean, it's very transparent. Yep. We own a lot of XRP. Uh, Anything we do that's not good for the XRP ecosystem is not good for, I mean, by the way, there's a whole bunch of other players in the XRP ecosystem. Some Mm. of companies we've invested in, some are doing their own independent thing. Just this week, you know, a bunch of announcements about SDK, this is uh, an announcement this week around SDKs around the XRP ledger that I think are profound and we'll only see more people building on top of the XRP ledger. That's good for the whole whole group. When we think about what we're doing, we've tried one, to be very transparent. Uh, in the kind of context of leading by example, I think one of the limitations that the crypto ecosystem broadly faces is lack of transparency. If we're not going to be transparent, we shouldn't expect people to you know, trust us. Now, in some ways, I admit in a frustrating way, our transparency
0: has opened us up to attack. Okay. So hold on. Pause for a second. Pause. The one thing that I will say is um, I do believe that your life would be easier if you didn't provide any information because people sadly I agree because people would what I what I honestly believe and this is across every single company public companies specifically right public public companies would have less scrutiny in many cases if they were private right same thing kind of applies here is uh the more information you put out whether you're right or wrong whether uh you're fully transparent or semi-transparent people then now have data points right right and they can use that to all that stuff Right now. I, I, There's ahead. an
1: example of this I'll point to. Okay. I, Joe Lubin and I were on a panel in Davos the, earlier this year. Okay. And Joe Lubin was criticizing. I can't remember exactly. It's, there's a video of it somewhere out on the internet, but he was criticizing, you know, Ripple and XRP. And, you know, and I was like, wait, While wait, minute. While you are on the panel with him? Yeah. 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 By the way, I, I actually ball, like. That's pretty I, ballsy. He was being direct. You know, I don't, I think it kind of backfired on him. You can go watch the video. You can make your own judgment. But I'm like, okay, wait a minute. Before you're going to criticize what Ripple's doing, how much, how much ETH does Joe Lubin own? How much ETH does consensus own? How much are you selling? Mm -hmm. What are you using that for? And You know, look, I I think the best way to
0: lead is by example. And so Ripple has tried to lead by example. Okay. Uh, Talk about the mechanism of escrow, sales, kind of how the whole process works. Right. So just uh, structurally, don't worry about numbers for right now. Yeah, I'm going to try to remember the exact time. About two
1: years ago, one of the big, you know, kind of uh, overhangs, if you will, concerns about the XRP market had been, Ripple owns a lot of it. What happens if Ripple decides to
0: sell a lot of it? I always use the argument, well, that wouldn't be in Ripple's
1: best interest, so why would we do that?
0: And the concern there is basically if you dump it all on the market all at once, it would depress the price.
1: That, that's, that's one of the concerns. Yeah. I think there's some others, but yes. And I, of course, would always, you know, I always thought it was a little bit of just a silly argument because that would not be in our best interest, so why would we ever do that? We We took that off the table as a concern by saying, look, I'll tell you what we are going to lock up in, so the XRP ledger has a capability called an escrow. Okay. It can be cryptographically signed, sealed, if you will. And we created 55 contracts, 55 escrows that effectively uh, become unlocked once a month for 55 months. There was 1 billion
0: XRP in each escrow. So in months so of one, fi- so 55 billion XRP went into escrow up in, in an escrow. Well, in 55 escrows. Yep. And then each one kind of on a, month-by-month month month th- basis, each one kind of fires off and releases $1 billion XRP. Correct. When it releases, where does it go? We can do whatever we want with it. Okay, we
1: being Ripple. We Ripple. Okay. I mean, these escrow, you know, Ripple owns the XRP. Yep. We on our own accord. And you guys so own the
0: escrow. So, because uh, one of the things that I don't think I understood well, and people are asking questions, so I apologize to anyone who All thinks right. I get this wrong, is... Um, they were like, it's not real escrow because Ripple still owns it. What you're basically saying is, it's, it's a cryptographically a, yeah. signed. We can't unlock it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, it's, I guess, somebody could make the argument you quote unquote own it, but there's cryptographic signage on it, yeah. and you don't, you can't. We can't violate correct. it. Correct. Right. That's okay. correct. Okay. So, we, so you get the locked. billion, you get the billion XRP once a month. For fifty-five
1: months, we use some of it for uh, deals. Well, back to you asked. We sell some programmatically. Mm -hmm. I want to talk. I'm digress on that. For you asked about it earlier, I didn't touch on it. We sell XRP two different ways. Okay, one is OTC, over the counter. Okay, institutions come to us. They want exposure to XRP rather than going into the market. Sometimes they'll come to us. And we will facilitate a, facilitate a transaction.
0: What, what? Okay, let's go real slow here because this is where all the questions were. Um, what are the types of institutions that come for OTC? Are these like hedge fund, crypto hedge funds, or are these the yes. more like bank customer types? More the former than the latter. More the okay. So this more, is more. This is more uh, crypto speculators. Okay, are coming than, to you and saying, "Hey, we'd like to buy over the counter." Correct. Got so it. now two things about the
1: over-the-counter piece. One is, you know, so over the history of the time I've been in the company, I don't know, order magnitude, we'd have 20 to 30 unique players come to us to buy XRP.
0: No, oh, that's really not that many. I thought it was going to be way higher than that. No. Okay.
1: Yeah. Uh, we basically have stopped all OTC in large part because our attitude is, look, there's enough liquidity out in the market. You can go into the market and get it. Market being you can go on an exchange or you can go to other OTC. There's products. a lot of very successful OTC desks and we refer people to those OTC desks or yeah, you could go in and you know buy it on an exchange. It depends on the size, but uh, so, you know, we back to our transparency, we put out what's called the XRP market report. Okay. Once a quarter at the end of each quarter, we will publish exactly, you know, Hey, this is how much XRP came out. This is how much XRP went in. Uh, this is how much we sold. We mm-hmm. sold some programmatically we some sold, sold OTC. Uh, you know, last quarter was a high water mark in terms of the dollar value of XRP sold. Okay. And one of the things that we actually agree with is we tried to have a constructive way to engage the market by saying, we're going to sell OTC and we're going to sell programmatically at 10
0: basis points of daily market activity. Okay. so And that's a combined OTC and programmatic or 10 no, basis points each? 10, 10 right. basis points.
1: Well, the OTC tends to be a little bit... Uh, you know, lumpy, lumpy. Okay. Yes, thank you. That's that. helpful. The the ten basis points is much easier. The challenge of the ten basis points became that we were using coin market cap as the measurement stick. Oops. You know, uh, do you use he, now? We uh, crypto compare top tier CCTT. Okay. And uh, we think that's a much more trusted. They have an interesting construct around. Uh, I'm, I'm going to get this slightly wrong. but kind of tier A, tier B, or tier you one. You think it's tier higher tier quality? It's a higher quality. I think it's a more trustworthy measure of actual volume in XRP liquidity.
0: Okay. So, so hold, let me ask one question real quick. Um, and this is more personal curiosity, 10 basis points of daily market volume or of market volume. Is that daily monthly? Daily. Okay. So basically daily. every day, would it be fair to say you guys are 10 basis points of the volume, give it, or take, depending on dilution, et cetera. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I, 99.9% so like let's, let's, let's just say that there's a hundred million dollars worth of daily volume before you guys do anything right that there means would that we would be a hundred thousand dollars yeah you'd yes. be 10, 10 basis points. Okay, got it. every so day
1: 99.9% of all XRP trading we have nothing to do with got it okay uh, we have based upon what we saw with coin market cap we've continued to kind of constrain what we're doing in part because I think people very appropriately are pointing out like, Hey, coin market cap, isn't Just right incorrect. the right measure. Yeah. Uh, you know, is coin market cap going to back to the transparency? And like, yep. I, I would challenge them to challenge themselves. Like it's bad for the whole market that that's
0: not a more trusted source. Yeah. So, okay. So programmatically, let's say the last couple of quarters, how much do you think you've sold? And, and again, one caveat to this whole conversation, right? I think a lot of people want me to like, hold your feet to the fire and say like, oh, you said $100 million, but it was 102. He, yeah, Here's the good news. Just ballpark. There's a public
1: number out there that we have published uh, for every quarter for the last eight to 10 quarters. Give us the ballpark in terms of the programmatic. I, mean, I think Q1, well, no, I, I, I don't know if I can parse programmatic from OTC top of okay. mind. I think Q1 both combined is about 170 million USD. Okay. And Q2 is about 250 million USD. Okay. Q3 is gonna be dramatically lower. Okay. We will put that XRP markets report out in a couple, or I don't know, a week Whatever. or two.
0: Okay. Yeah. Two so two weeks. A couple more questions here, um, and again, I caveat all this, but this is where all the questions are. Um, one, what are you doing with the money? So basically, uh, there's let's call it Q1. There's three billion XRP right that get unlocked over a three month period. Yeah. You so take y- that, in the
1: markets report, by the way, good. we would have said and I don't know top of mind, yep. but. 3 billion came unlocked and this is how much went back into the 56th 57th 58th contract or escrows got it so you, so, will, then you we will don't contribute use some of it back to the another escrow not just some of it but most of it i mean i, I would you know order
0: of 80 percent of it goes back goes back in okay you then sell 170 million q1 250 round numbers for q2 um I think one of the, uh, well, we're getting into the devil's advocate game now. Uh, One of them is, what do you guys need all the money for? (laughs) Well, uh, I mean, one, we're investing in both the
1: company. Uh, We're investing in, uh, the the, you know, MoneyGram is an interesting Mm -hmm. deal. We, as I think is very widely known, we committed $50 million to invest in MoneyGram. Uh, I think that has been a very successful partnership and investment for them and for us. Uh, they're super happy about it, we're happy about it and again, I think these the more we're doing to demonstrate scaled use cases of solving real problems I think that's good for everybody
0: mm-hmm. and, and how much of the unlock um, one of the other questions was around how much of the unlock goes to the company versus what they called company affiliates and that was founders, foundations kind of all this other stuff well, what we're talking about right now is only what the company owns. Okay. So, only I've, Ripple, the billion gets released, right. and then you use some of it for selling revenue, right, that you can then go invest and do all that stuff with, and then some of it just gets contributed back into future escrows. locked escrows. Correct. Okay. One of the other big ones um, was uh, misleading market cap, right? And so the big question here was, um, and I'm literally going to read to you almost verbatim, I'm good. Uh, just to make sure I don't screw it up. <laughs> Uh, The last thing I want is to ask you tough questions and then have get me get yelled at by the internet. Here is the good news: I actually want you to ask tough questions because I I honestly think that like most of the tough questions, I think there is like like I am not an irrational human being. All right, so hold on. I have to. I do have to say this on the record so everyone can hear it. We've never met before. No, we haven't. We've never talked before. Uh, Somebody asked me the other day uh, what I thought about this, and I said, "I look, I never met the guy before. We got some mutual friends. They speak highly of you," Um, and I said. I'll tell you what, the guy's got balls to come in here, <laughs> has no clue what I'm about to ask him. <laughs> so I'll give him that. Actually, well, you know, I'm glad you say that because I think some people are like, oh, well, you know, he has
1: to pre- have pre approved questions. I think what I said to you before we started is like, look, anything's fair game. Yeah.
0: I, 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 I will even go further as to say uh, the folks that know that I was talking to some of the people at Ripple about doing this, uh, that was going to be one of my, um, uh, what do they call it? Uh, like uh, stopping points is if they said, hey, I got to see the questions first, I wouldn't have done it. Yeah. So. Misleading market cap. Currently, the stated market cap counts all distributed tokens, including those sent to founders, affiliated foundations, and customers. Most of those, though, are held with restricted selling agreements, so they're not actually liquid, If, which can lead to an overstated market cap. If the market cap did not include those, then the implied inflation rate would be much higher. Therefore, it would be a better signal for uh, the downward selling pressure on XRP. Super complicated question. I'm going to caveat with one one quick sentence. Basically, if you look at the data, the way that some of this is calculated can be, in the detractor's eyes, misleading. Therefore, people can't run correct models to understand the inflation rate. Look, I I get the question, actually, at a high level. My my response is
1: largely, how do you calculate? So, we all look at the, quote, inflation rate of Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. What about the whales who bought Bitcoin and, you know, in year one and they're selling some now. Yep. Do, we, do we count that in the inflation rate? Mm-hmm. We don't. But isn't that the exact same thing as, you know, a founder of Ripple or the a founder of the XRP ledger who's selling some XRP? I, I'm not disputing the kind of I, I think and I don't know who asked the question, but I, I'm not disputing that. OK, if we looked holistically about the introduction of supply of XRP, Ripple is one component of it. Mm hmm. I think about Ripple's participation in the increase of supply equal to the mining increase and the increase of supply of ETH or Bitcoin. Okay? Because ETH has a whole bunch of I mean non-mining related supply that's introduced, right? Yeah. So does Bitcoin, so does XRP. I, I, so I and I'm not trying to dodge the question. I'm just saying that like the the, the question applies to well, I guess the question is on more a market cap specifically. Well, well, so here, here's, the market cap
0: is. I think there's two components to this. One is um, included in the market cap is uh, tokens that are held by restrictive selling agreements.
1: Right. Yes. Well, I think that's really referring to one of the co-founders of the XRP Ledger and the co-founders of Ripple is a guy named Jed McCaleb. Jed had threatened. He didn't just threaten. He said he was going to dump all of his XRP. He was trying, I mean, he had left Ripple and he was trying to start a competitor to Ripple called Stellar. And he said he was going to dump this. There was court activity and a settlement that restricted his ability to sell because he was trying to act in a, you know, not in a good way to the market.
0: Got it. Um, And so I'm kind of jumping around a little bit, but tangentially related to this, uh, when you guys sell Ripple OTC, XRP, or I'm sorry, (laughs) XRP. Do you guys put restricted selling agreements on anyone who buys OTC? Sometimes, yes. Sometimes. It, it, it largely depends. I mean, look, if somebody came
1: to us, well, keep in mind, by the way, we, the amount of OTC we're doing now is dramatically less than we were before, mm. for the reasons we've kind of talked about before. Yep. Uh, you know, If somebody was coming to us and saying, I want to buy $20 million of XRP, uh, you know, there is a risk that someone would want to do that and somehow have ill intent and so we might have restrictions on that. You know, they're also back to the whales point, you know, and you could argue actually what Ripple has done is healthier than what you have in the ETH environment or Bitcoin because there are no restrictions. Now, I think in all of these environments, people are probably acting in the best interest because if you're like, holding, yeah, g- like, generally, right? Yeah, yeah. If you, unless you're irrational or not very smart.
0: Would there be a way for you to, and, and I'll caveat again, uh, sitting as a person, trying to understand how you guys are thinking about this and also understanding kind of the other side there's sensitivities whenever you're doing business transactions with i'll call them customers partners whoever um and so you don't want to you know uh open source your contracts right for yeah, for example right, right but is there a way to be uh more transparent is kind of a negative connotation, but just more transparent uh, around what those selling uh, restrictions are, um, either on a customer basis or on a more kind of generalized uh, basis. I
1: mean, here's kind of my reaction to this. Okay, so we're already 10 or 100 times more transparent than anybody in the crypto community, and we get attacked for doing that. And I think you just asked me to be more transparent. I think I'm going to pass. Yeah. I I mean, I'm not trying to... Yeah, it's just kind of like... Like we are doing what we think are smart, strategic things mm-hmm. to leverage our balance sheet mm-hmm. in a way that we think is you know rational and thoughtful about catalyzing this whole area. Mm-hmm. Uh, am I going to you know share our you know the, the Coca formula of like hey, here's how we're doing things? I mean, is it that secret and special? Uh, yeah, we can debate that. But like, uh, this I this is
0: actually so. Here's what I'll say: This is one thing where uh, if people were and there actually are some people who want you guys to do this, right? Uh, said, basically open source the contracts, right? Like show us exactly what every single contract looks like with every single customer. I actually think that's like pretty far overkill, right? Just given that you're trying to run a business, et cetera. So, so I'll, I'll definitely um, kind it, of call also, that out. also,
1: if I may, I think one of the challenges for how capitalism has evolved, period, is we're very short-term centric. Mm-hmm. I have been very public and saying, look, I'm taking a very long view of the company we're trying to create, mm-hmm. and you know, if I piss some people off in the short term, I'm okay with that. Uh, I, I, I think, I think you know, I didn't talk about this earlier, but I was in business school when Jeff Bezos this is 1996. Jeff Bezos he hadn't really launched Amazon. He came to my class in 1996, talked about Amazon, and it was Amazon Books, really. And he talked about, and I, since then, I've been enamored. A bunch of my classmates ended up working at Amazon, and I've been kind of enamored watching the company and. I think what they have done has been very, very impressive in lots of ways. But one of the things I have looked at, I think about Ripple is to cross-border payments as Amazon is to books.
0: Okay, you got to explain that.
1: Amazon, Amazon launched one vertical, books. Had they not succeeded in books, they never would have been able to do DVDs or music or, you know, now AWS, else, right? <laughs> AWS, right? That's the infrastructure level. When I think about Ripple's doing, there's a lot of different applications of blockchain technologies. There's a lot of different ways we could use the XRP ledger. We started with a vertical around cross-border payments, partly because it's a massive market, partly because it's a very clear pain point. Mm -hmm. You have customers who don't like the incumbents. They're happy to engage. But what I've said to the company is, look, we have to be successful in books, aka cross-border payments, or we don't get permission to go to the second vertical. But ultimately, I see what Ripple's doing with blockchain technologies as
0: we're going to enter other verticals for Mm -hmm. sure. What what will they be? Oh my gosh. I mean, I should open source that too. <laughs> Wait, just throw one out there that yeah. that would be another type that you would enter. I I mean, look, we have.
1: Uh, so you're a master at dodging. I appreciate it. <laughs> no, I can't. I mean, that's, that, 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 that's one. Look, we're looking at lots
0: of different things, other types of financial services.
1: I'll give you another interesting example, real quickly. Do you know who the largest investor was in pets.com when it went bankrupt? I do not. Amazon. Really? The only way I point that out is look, we have made a bunch of investments in other mm-hmm. projects going on out there. I think right now Ripple is the largest investor in crypto period. We've invested about five hundred million dollars in other crypto projects. Okay. We're gonna make a bunch of investments, a lot of different things, some of them unrelated to the XRP world, some very related, mm-hmm. some related to Ripple, some unrelated, some related to payments, some unrelated. Some of those may be things that we end up buying, some of those maybe end up things that we investing. Lately. Yeah. We're, we're great. Got it. My point to some degree is in the nascent stage of a market and watching Amazon lose money on pets.com, mm-hmm. that was totally okay. Yeah. Right. You know, they were learning as they went and we're going to do the same thing. There will certainly be other verticals that we go after at ripple. And I'm not even sure how I got on this topic. That's
0: good. That's, that's the point of why I'm here right. to interview you yeah. is just to lead you with breadcrumbs. You asked me a question that <laughs> somehow I got on Amazon. No, no, no. I'm not sure. All right. right. So, so as part of this, um, one of the things that also comes up in the sales, I think it's the last question on sales, is um, how do you think about when you sell OTC, right? So there's the restrictive uh, selling agreements, then there's some sort of discounting at times, sometimes not. Talk just about- G- Generally not. Ge- okay, generally not. Uh, when there is, is it, hey, if you lock this up, there's a discount, or kind of, how do you think about it from a framework standpoint first?
1: I mean, look, so first of all, generally there is not. Okay. To the extent there is, it's, hey, we're doing a bigger, broader deal in some construct, and we're thinking a lot of different, you know, how do you create value on both sides in a lot of different pieces?
0: And this is likely, uh, would it be fair to say the discounted OTC sales are not with the crypto speculators? They're more with customers and partners? Correct. Okay. And what would a For sure, correct. A A bigger deal would be, and this is me just completely speculating, making this up, but... I think generally if I'm sitting in your seat it's something like hey, you're going to be a customer of our software product we're going to also give you some uh, XRP for liquidity purposes or whatever. you can basically buy it at some discount and then you can hold on your balance sheet et or we'll loan it to you and you know at, at a very low interest rate or you know I mean there's different mechanisms
1: right okay I mean, we're trying to be thoughtful and creative about how we Catalyze the whole marketplace, Mm -hmm. and you know, look. There are the good news for us is there's other companies in the XRP world who are doing similar things. They're just not as big as we are. They don't own as much XRP, but
0: there's a lot of other cool stuff going on, and uh, I think that's that's good for everybody. Yeah, and and by the way, I don't think that doing that is wrong, right? I mean, look, there's people who I I sell things and I discount them, (laughs) so like I I understand. Um, What do you think the average discount is? Oh, I don't know. I mean. Like 50%? Oh, no. Or, no, no. I would say like, five. I, I, I okay. mean, like, I don't know. Smaller in, numbers. Yeah.
1: Right. I mean, look, I I think about XRP as a currency. Mm-hmm.
0: I, I should, I mean, would you sell a dollar for be one of my cents? questions is, well, that to be one of my questions is, do you think it's a currency? Do you think, look at it more of like a utility token? How do you think about it?
1: I, I mean, I, you know part of the question I was like I don't know what exactly is the utility token what is it I mean there's some parts you're starting <laughs> to sound like me <laughs> I, I don't even know look what I do know maybe for better or for worse in 2015 we had a FinCEN settlement with the government okay the US government called XRP a currency okay I think of it as a currency for purposes of deals like what you're describing I think of it as a currency and so if I were thinking about a a deal construct and back to the whole reason we're talking about this is that the discount point I, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't give dollars away for 50, for Half dollars, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, would I give someone a advantageous deal denominated in dollars for some reason?
0: Sure, mm-hmm. that makes sense. Um, okay, so let's go to XRP Army uh, in terms of uh, all of the uh, engagement on Twitter. Yeah, you're not the XRP Army commander. Uh, what do you? What is your reaction been to this? What is kind of your? Um, perspective on kind of how, how enthusiastic people are online. Look, I,
1: I love the fact that there's a group of people who uh, believe in what we're doing, are advocating. And it, if anything, it, I actually think the XRP army is a reaction to the aggressiveness of the FUD. Interesting. Elaborate on this. Well, I think people are there sometimes more than other times. People are putting out information that is factually incorrect, either about Ripple mm-hmm or about the XRP Ledger, or about the people around the ecosystem, or about other companies in the ecosystem. And uh, you know, the, the, that community has been catalyzed to correct that. I, and th- in that context, I think that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, are they a more vibrant group than others? I don't know. I mean, look, I get attacked by plenty who are outside of that army, and those are pretty active people, too. I think the whole space is super engaged, right? And then there's. And in some ways, that's a beautiful, healthy thing. Yeah. But look, can we all start with the same basis of facts? Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I think some people just stop listening in a way that I find to be, you know, frustrating. And mm-hmm. I, I'm still learning. Mm-hmm. Uh, we shall still learn. There's things that I don't fully understand about what's going on in the Bitcoin world. There's things I, I learned in this conference in Montreal I found super interesting. Uh, but there's a lot of mis- misunderstandings about what Ripple is, about what the XRP ledger is, uh, how it works. And, you know, I look as I said, I'm, I'm here today to try to correct the record on some of
0: those things. For sure. I only got a couple more questions that we got to wrap up. Sounds but, good. Um, in terms of... Uh, payment to employees. One of the things I find fascinating is there's plenty of companies that are built around Bitcoin. Employees accept Bitcoin as their salary, uh, Binance, BNB. Are there folks at Ripple slash XRP that are working uh, on this and getting paid in XRP? Uh, Well, you you said Ripple slash XRP.
1: There's employees at Ripple who choose to get paid in XRP, yes. Okay, got it. Uh, Uh, I don't think anybody gets paid 100% in XRP, but it's it's kind of an opt-in, and we may limit the
0: amount they percentage they can take an XRP, I'm not sure. Got it. Um, All right, so last topic I wanna cover, uh, I call this like the elephant in the room, and it's more uh, from my standpoint, one of the things that we did not do as investors is uh, we did not participate in um, the whole ICO stuff, right? And for us it was more around, um, I'll call it regulatory uncertainty, right? And for us it was we had so many opportunities on the equity side uh, where we could go invest that it was just like, eh, we don't really have an advantage there, so we'll leave it for other people. What's your perspective on tokens regulation? There's been a bunch of settlements recently that have been announced kind of at the end of the, the fiscal year for the SEC, et cetera, with EOS and block one and all that. Kind of just broad based first, just like how do you view this whole environment given that you've actually been working on this for, you know, what, four or five years now? You you've kind of seen some evolutions there. Yeah. What's your perspective?
1: Like I think if you go back and look at my Twitter feed, you will find that I was one of the first people to come out and say, I think this whole ICO thing's gonna end badly. Really? I think if you go back and look, I was I was very early in saying, danger, danger. If you uh, said that,
0: kudos to you. <laughs> I, I was on a
1: panel, and I remember this well. It was an MIT panel, and I tell you, there was like 800 people showed up for this thing in San Francisco. It was a massive audience, and it was right at the height of the ICO market. You know? okay. <laughs> I remember there was a lawyer sitting next to me who was kind of advocating, yeah, I do an ICO. And I, all I said was, if you're going to do an ICO, just remember to hold back a lot of that money to pay him as a lawyer to defend you when the SEC comes after you. Now, one of the other things I'll just point out is an interesting irony about this whole thing is we at Ripple and even I think the XRP community kind of mm-hmm. leaned out during that craze and ETH community leaned in to really enable the, that the, the ICO craze. Mm-hmm. Isn't it ironic that by doing that, ETH was then deemed not to be a security given its distribution and the SEC hasn't said anything about XRP? Okay, we, we decided that, hey, look, we think that actually clearly... You know, we, Ripple didn't do an ICO. The XRP ledger predated Ripple.
0: Mm-hmm. How did, was there a quote unquote ICO for XRP on um, the XRP ledger?
1: No. no. The, the early days of the XRP ledger were giveaways. Got Ripple, it. the company, raised money through venture capital and did a, series, a C private. financing, a series A financing, a series B financing. Got it. What have you.
0: And, and um, so I got to ask XRP, there's plenty of people who think it's security, plenty of people who don't. I think there's plenty of people who don't. Okay. I,
1: I mean, look, there's a. I don't know exactly the name of it, this ranking system that came out
0: this week. This I is saw that, the crypto yeah. rating. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's, it's, did you read my notes before this? So one of my questions this is literally going to be, if you look at those rankings compared to others, you guys actually score pretty well, right? And then um, I think that the big question, and, and I'm very sensitive to the fact that uh, I don't want you to say anything that you're uncomfortable saying, but at the same time, um, how do you think about if you're sitting in the regulator seat deciding... What's a security? What's not? This yeah. stuff's new. You, you spoke about ETH transitioning, possibly from could have been a security to now it's not. Just talk a little bit about that. You know, sitting, running. What? What do you guys have? the like, Third or fourth largest cap uh, asset now? It depends. What you count market cap, right? <laughs> I, I think the SEC has a really hard job, and I, I genuinely
1: mean I agree that. With that. Like uh, this is a new thing. You know, what does it mean? You know, how, how should it be regulated? And so I'm respectful of the fact that it's some of the stuff. It's not black and white. Uh, I think that you know how that plays out is I think yet to be determined. I think the slowly but surely the SEC is providing more guidance, uh, both throughout what they're doing with an enforcement mechanism and what they're doing you know kind of what they're publishing on policy stuff. Uh, you know we work with regulators around the world. You know some regulators have been much uh, kind of quicker than the U.S. has about being specific. You know the U.K. has come out and said that they view XRP in the same thing as ETH and BTC. Uh, we've seen a bunch of other, you know, the J- Japan that has been true. Uh, so, you know, I, I can't certainly speak on behalf of the SEC suffice mm-hmm. to say, I think they've got a hard job and I understand that, you know, they're kind of
0: trying to do their best to work through it. Before we wrap up, I always ask two questions. Oh, you, you get to ask me one question to end it, but my two questions, uh, most important book you've ever read. At, uh, we just went from debating snow the intricacies of, of securities law to now favorite book, <laughs> snow crash, snow crash. Oh, they old we, school. So uh, there's three books that are given to uh, product managers when they join Facebook, and Snow Crash is one of them. Really? I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah, I actually forget the other I two. I was given Snow
1: Crash, Snow Crash in somewhere around 95, 96, and I uh, thought it was pretty fascinating. Yeah.
0: It, 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 uh, for those that read it, I think a lot of people receive it and never read it, but those yeah. who read it's pretty good. Uh, aliens, believer or non-believer? For sure. Why? There's too many things out there. It's, it's a law okay. of large numbers. If they uh, showed up to the uh, US, would that be a good... Or I'm sorry, to the Earth, would that be a good or bad thing? Oh, uh, we we have aliens here already for sure. Have you, you been outside New York been, City? <laughs> Jesus.
1: Okay, I'm kidding right. Right about that. So
0: Brad, Brad actually went to Area 51. <laughs> All right,
1: my one question for you is, do you think differently about Ripple and the XRP Ledger now as compared to 60, 70, 80 minutes? I don't know how long we've been here.
0: So I will... Uh, I'm going to expertly dodge that only because... Uh, I think most people actually don't know what I thought before you walked in here. Oh, that's fair. Well, right? I just
1: asked if you thought differently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: So uh, I think I'm actually on the podcast on record saying that it's important to separate out software company from XRP. I actually think that having software that makes banks run better, there's big businesses to be built there, right? We've actually invested in a bunch of businesses that are either trying to disrupt software products that are currently in banks or are helping banks be more efficient. That all makes a lot of sense to me. XRP, my only big thing that I just can't get over, right, and, and I understand the academic, or I understand the argument as to why is if you can use XRP, right, across the rails, why not use Bitcoin? Now, I think your argument would be volatility, the f- the fact yeah, that you can't stop it, all the things. It's you a sever. lot faster and a lot cheaper to use XRP. So. What I end up coming to is uh, there are two, there's probably many versions of the future, but two of those versions are uh, what I will call a corporate company creating a software product that is then sold in an enterprise model into banks, which you guys are doing, and there is likely to be something other than bitcoin that's used so whether that's xrp or somebody else comes along and creates something or it's libra or you know whatever whatever it gets created with the white paper (laughs) we i you notice i didn't even go there until the end i messed up (laughs) we're not going there all right and then the other uh world is a world of um bitcoin which uh yeah there will be people who build this stuff but it's much more kind of empowering people it's fighting back against uh, things like inflation the banking system yada 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 I really do think that what ends up being the most valuable is which path the world goes down, right? That's fair. Like, I don't think that it is a, uh, if we go down the path where uh, we need something that is fully decentralized, non-sensurable, non-seizable, et cetera, like, I don't think that Ripple and XRP end up being the winner, right, in in that world. Vice versa. If we go down a world where uh, we need a corporate software company that sells into banks, et cetera, like, I actually don't think that Bitcoin can win in that world.
1: There's an expression that I use sometimes at work, much to the frustration of Ripple employees. It's the, the, tyranny, oh <laughs> the, the tyranny of the or versus the power of the and. Explain. Why is it one or the other of those? Oh, I, you, I'm, I, I, there's kind of, and I know we're wrapping up, but you know, I, I think one of the mistakes that people make in this kind of broader crypto world mm-hmm. is that there's not going to be one winner here. There's going to be a That's bunch true. of interesting winners. And uh, by the way, I, you know, I, I would even yield the point, is the XRP environment clearly going to be a winner? You know, I think there's some interesting dynamics there that make it more efficient in a whole bunch of ways. But I think at the end of the day, it comes back to like, is it? Sol- are these technologies being used to solve a real problem for real customers in a scaled way? And uh, there's a lot of a
0: long way to go in all of them. One sentence answer at the end of this. Whenever you go do whatever you go do next, it could be 30 years from now. What is the legacy that you want Ripple, XRP, and Bitcoin to leave on the world?
1: I hope that these technologies put a little dent in the universe in terms of making commerce more efficient.
0: I think that's completely fair. All right, listen, you get a lot of credit for uh, for coming and doing this uh, completely blind, so I appreciate it very much. And uh, where can people find you on the internet? <laughs> uh, at B Garlinghouse, Twitter at B Garlinghouse. <laughs> the XRP Army, the lovers, the detractors have added. All right, guys, thanks so much. Thanks, Pomp. Hey, everyone. Pomp here.